curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. In a continuing subtopic of the series, today's episode provides us the unique opportunity to discuss firsthand the trials and tribulations of being new to sales as a recent entrant to the workforce, be it after college graduation, military service, or any other line of work. I'm joined today by Nick DiMaggio from Jerry Weinberg and Associates Sandler Training. Nick is an emerging leader in the sales industry of his generation. And for those tuning in and wondering what all of that means, his firm is a performance-based company that helps presidents, owners, and VPs of sales make more sales in a shorter amount of time with better skills, structure, and strategy. Welcome, Nick. Welcome, and thank you for having us on here, uh, Roger. Definitely appreciate it. Absolutely, no problem, man. Well, you know, Nick, we've known each other for a while, and before we jump into this, I thought it would be interesting to share with you. I don't know, I doubt that you heard this, but uh, Jerry Weinberg, years ago, used to run a series of radio advertisements on the local sports radio station, and he would always have the same message. He would say that his sales training is difficult and inexpensive, and but it was worth it. So... I'm, I was always struck by that, and being a cynical salesperson as I was working in a field sales organization back in the day, I was always somewhat struck by someone who had what we didn't even call swagger back then. It was just confidence to be able to say like, hey, I'm expensive, but I'm worth it. So just tell Jerry when you get a chance that that uh, advertising expenditure that he was making wasn't lost on good old Roger Burnett. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I've been hearing a lot of murmurs that were expensive and were worth it and were difficult too. Difficult uh, is important as well, right? Because if it's easy, anybody can do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Everybody would be a millionaire in sales if it was easy. So. Well, I think what would happen then is that 
we would none of us would make any money because if anybody could do it, then they wouldn't have to pay us as much as they do to be successful in sales. So we're going to try and keep it that way, uh, internet notwithstanding, right? Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> so, like I said, Nick, I, I've known you a while. Uh, I've had you out to the house. We've we've spent a good long time talking back and forth about life and being a professional in business and things like that. And um, I always sort of thought in the back of my mind that when all was said and done, that we'd find you as a salesperson and you made it come true for me. Uh, I didn't necessarily expect to be a fortune teller in that regard, but it just happened to turn out that way. But before we jump into sort of some more of the specifics about what you're seeing as a millennial in the sales marketplace, what, what even drew you to the idea of being a salesperson? Great question, and uh, I like to attribute to maybe a couple too many bumps on the head when I uh, was younger, honestly. Um, a lot of kids, a lot of parents don't tell their children, hey, you know what, go up and get into sales. All right. That's what I'm here to change is that sales is a very noble profession, and people should get into it. So how did I get in? I mean, that's that's kind of a, a question that I had to take myself back to when I was seven years old. And what happened was I was, of course, being dragged around in the, the grocery store by my mother and three other screaming children, what I would call siblings at this point. And what was happening is I was noticing that why was it that message on the cereal box was drawn to certain people? And how is that really persuading other people to buy certain brands? And so that's how I kind of found myself in this idea of what is sales? What is the art of persuasion? And when I kept growing up, I had a lot of uh, odd jobs, right? Mowing the lawns for a bunch of neighbors, the, pay, the, the poster, the paper route, whatever it may be. And I always had this kind of uh, hustler mentality. And what I liked about it the most was... I had the control of what I wanted to do and what kind of performance or results I was going to get. So that was kind of the kind of the basis of, you know what, sales is the right thing to do. And that's how I actually found myself in sales in general. It's interesting. Uh, many of us, and I've, I've had the good fortune to record interviews with you know captains of industry, people who are running you know, multi-million dollar businesses all the way down to, you know, single individual practitioners who are just putting their own shingle out for the first time. And one of the consistent themes that I hear over and over and over again from those people is this uh, early stage entrepreneurial spirit where at a very young age, people were doing things like mowing lawns and delivering papers on a paper route. You know, not, not everyone does that. And there just seems to be some correlation, some uh, recurring theme between having this idea about being able to go out and earn money for yourself based on your own willingness to work hard and take yourself that extra mile as opposed to other folks in the world who maybe just decide, hey, you know, uh, I've reached that stage in my life where it's time for me to go get a job so that I can start having some money for things. And I don't know that necessarily one is better or worse than another. I'm merely suggesting that there's definitely a, a commonality there when it comes to people who seek out either business ownership roles or sales roles, which in a lot of ways, even when you're a salesperson working for someone else, you're in control of your own success in a lot of ways by virtue of your ability to achieve 
the sales goals that have been set out for you. So uh, very interesting and unique correlation there. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. And uh, I was always gratified by the opportunity to take my family of modest means out to dinner on the money that I had made during the week on Friday nights. It was a source of enormous pride for me and is still something to this day that my uh, 72-year-old mom will say to me, hey, like, I remember back then how you would beam when you were able to do that for us. So I think, I think in some small way, shape, or form, that gratification of knowing that you're capable of being able to do things with money that you made on your own is, a, is another corollary there. So, so let's talk a little bit about where you work. So you work at Sandler. You work for a, a, a would Jerry be considered a Sandler franchisee, or how does that work? So yeah, he is a franchisee, okay. and uh, I am uh, an associate here. Yeah, we've got a couple of associates here working, um, but really, what it is is that Jerry and I are the same in regards to that we are sellers, but we also are consultants, but also trainers. Sure. So. Uh, how I actually got to Jerry was kind of a long story, and the, the kind of the skinny of it was, uh, like I said, or like you said earlier, we've known each other for a while. My father gave me a call and said, "Nick, you know, you can't play professional lacrosse. Huh. You're only five foot eleven and <laughs> one hundred and eighty five pounds soaking wet. I don't think you got a chance." Huh. So after that giggle or a laugh. Uh, and then my confidence was in a, at an utter low. Um, he quickly transitioned the conversation and said, Nick, what do you want to do with life? And um, that's how I found Jerry Weinberg and Associates. And I said, Dad, you know, I, I want to go into sales, but I truly am concerned that I may be taught the wrong behaviors, the techniques, maybe even the mindset of sales and I will develop bad habits. And so I've been seeing a lot of uh, millennials coming into this world that come off a very institutional background of saying, well, let me learn about something before I go out and do it. And so that's actually how I took my approach at Sandler. And like I said earlier, it's the idea of having a sports background. I thought to myself, you know, there's always a process. Sure. And there is always a process for anything you do tie your shoes to getting in the car and driving. And so that is the no different from sales. And we're wow. here to teach the idea that, you know, sales is not an art, it's a science. And every science has a good result or a bad one. And so where the magic comes from is actually kind of the, the discipline in, in your process. And so that's what really gravitated me towards Jerry Weinberg and Associates is I would actually have a process and discipline to go back and actually be almost like a scientist or a doctor and be able to tweak processes, strategies, different techniques to be more effective. So because I see a lot of people stumbling in this world thinking to themselves, I'm just going to shoot from the hip, you know, 1-800-WING it, so to speak. <laughs> so, and that's what's kind of got me to Sandler. Yeah, so let me let me unravel this a little bit. So, uh, you played college lacrosse, right? And um, knowing what I know of you, you you've been involved in sports pretty much since you could put shoes on. So, um, consistently, what I see from competitors from the field of play 
is the desire for coaching. And for instance, I, I as a golfer of 21 years, have just after 20 of those years decided that it would be important for me to go get golf lessons. And what the, this time with the golf coach has taught me is that I have a lot of bad habits that I have to unlearn in order to relearn the correct way to approach the game of golf. And in many ways, uh, I suspect that there's some similarities there when you're talking about your approach to what you wanted to do with the rest of your life once you came to the startling realization that a five foot 11, 185 pound kid isn't probably going to be a professional athlete on the lacrosse field. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, yeah, from, you're absolutely right. So, so yeah. would you, so would you say in that regard that, that, um, you were, you were, do you see that as a corollary where you, do you think that you were seeking that kind of coaching? Was that what really drove you in that direction? I think in anything that you do now in your career or in life, the people that are successful, and I've read a lot of books on it, is that they find someone that's a mentor. And you can correlate that to even a coach. And a lot of a lot of people look for swing coaches, just like they do for the golf, just like they do for baseball. And it should be no different for sales. And it's, a, it's amazing to me that the correlation of, having a coach sometimes doesn't fall into the sales arena, which I think is unfortunate of a, a correlation. But yes, I would say the most successful people find coaches. And that's exactly what I was looking for with my ambition and drive. It was, that was the, the way I found it. Yeah. So I want to share a little bit of a story with you. And I, I, I'll, for the sake of uh, time and not boring repeat listeners with the same story over and over and over again. But sure. I, I, I was taught at a young age to equate sales with being bad. That, that meant that so, something was going to be taken from you that perhaps maybe you didn't want to give up if you were to interact with a salesperson. And it took me a long time to reconcile the notion of people telling me at, you know, about the same age as you wow, like I think you're a natural born salesperson. And that, you know, that literally caused conflict for me. Uh, and I, I really had to try to figure out how to reconcile this notion of having the ability to be successful at something that I'd been taught was, you know, inherently bad. So how I did that was to equate what I was doing for the people that I was trying to earn their business as to being more of a teacher. And that was pre-internet when information wasn't quite as available. So I felt like my objective in uh, any competitive sales opportunity was to teach the person on the other side of the table making the buying decisions what the exact right questions were in order to have the right information to make the best possible decision with respect to whatever it was I was trying to sell at that time. And so that really was super helpful for me. So how does that relate to you when it came to this idea of, uh, I, I think I want to go into sales, but I'm worried that I'm going to end up doing it all wrong? Gosh, I mean, I mean, where to start? I mean, haven't you seen any uh, classic movies, right? Uh, always be closing. Right. The Glenn Gary, you know, the Glenn Gary. Uh, Glenn leads. Ross, yeah. Alex you, Baldwin's you, favorite yes, exactly. scene. Right? You've got, um, what's it, Tommy Boy. 
all comical but yet great movies and we grow up with that idea of like oh my gosh i don't want to be you know a sleazy car salesman and i know a lot of great car salesmen out there and so for the listeners that are car salespeople, please don't take that as anything hurtful but joe general public have has this this persona of snake oils you know back slapping cigar smoking kind of salespeople, and it 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 hurts your reputation and it takes a toll on you as a person yeah right sure and i definitely can relate to you on that is when i walked a little bit around in sales you feel like people look at you a little bit different like oh you're in sales right oh that's great i mean if you ever want to not be talked to at a party all you have to do is say you're you're a salesman and everybody will leave you alone pretty quick <laughs> and so um that's a great uh tool if you're ever at a christmas party or a family gathering and you got to get away from somebody <laughs> that is that's been effective for me so one of the pro tips i'm leaving today yeah for sure for sure so um this this notion of wanting to be prepared i've i i, I witnessed this and while i would say to you that uh, in lots of instances, the notion of knowing everything before being willing to do something is not limited to the younger generation. What I will say is what I've uh, witnessed in, in my time in, in spending time with people who are in their mid-20s is because of the proliferation of the internet and the availability of information you guys and girls have this inclination to really want to have done that kind of research because that's second nature to you. And regardless of whatever search platform you might use, you know, be it Wikipedia all the way down to YouTube, where you might be searching for information, there's this idea of like, I have to be totally prepared in order to be able to go out and ply my trade. Do you think that's true? And if so, where 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 ha, where has that not necessarily been uh it, it, where has that maybe run you into a brick wall in your sales career so that is a great question and if you can imagine uh, a graph and if you can imagine putting uh, a u in that graph what we've seen in sales is that anybody that joins into a new sales arena or someone that's new into sales, maybe someone that came from college, they start at the other side of that you. And that you is questions. The, the y-axis is questions. And the, the, the x-axis is actually time. Okay. So what happens is in sales – what, what happens is, is that you start at the top of this questions of the y-axis and you start asking a whole bunch of questions because we're not familiar with what we're selling or our products because we have to go out there and learn everything. But what happens is that you're at the top of that you, that's actually represented in sales. And so you actually do a really great job of making a lot of sales. But after time, when you start learning your products, and you start getting a lot of that product knowledge, your questions start going down. And what happens is you find yourself at that bottom of that U. And what happens at that bottom of that U is that we start assuming in sales. 
And one of the great one-liners is you can never assume in sales. And you can never take wishy-washy words or smoke blowing from prospects. And so what are the techniques that you got to use to uncover that? And it's questions. And so what happens in sales in the lifetime of a salesperson, we see them almost like a dummy at the beginning. They ask like the silliest questions, but yet they're making sales because they're helping the prospect discover what needs or what pains they need to solve. And then throughout their life cycle, what happens is they start and they stop asking questions and then they start getting a little bit smarter and saying to themselves, wait a minute, I need to start asking questions as if I was a dummy again in my beginning of my years. And that's where people start seeing the other side of that you start to pick up. Yeah, in my sales training years back, um, we, we would talk about the varying levels of competency, right? And so right. Uh, what we would call that in the beginning is unconscious incompetence, literally where you just don't even know what you don't know. Exactly. And on the opposite end of that spectrum is what's called conscious or unconscious competence, where you've learned it so um, you know amazingly well that you stop thinking about it. And what our sales training taught us in the early days was the two ends of the spectrum are the most dangerous because if you don't know what you don't know, how are you ever going to get to a place where you can be of benefit to anyone? But on the other end of the spectrum, if you know it so well that you stop sharing it, how are you ever going to help someone? So, you know, it's that space in between that's really important where you've reached levels of unconscious or conscious incompetence where you know what you don't know. That's relatively easily overcome because that's just a matter of information. And in the Internet age, that's really just a Google search away and some time spent learning and memorizing things in order to feel more confident to get yourself to that place where you're consciously competent. And that conscious competence uh, space is really where the magic happens in, in my mind. It's because not only now do you have a really strong understanding of what it is that you're that you're representing in the marketplace, and I won't even call it selling anymore. It's much more your representative of whatever it is that you um, would be able to share with someone if that's what they choose to to need. But more importantly, you've reached a place where after a bit of questioning, you can come to understand just how that person looks similar to perhaps other clients of either your own or your customer or of uh, your, 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 your business or even your industry so that you can help start guiding them in the direction of very similar to what I described in the beginning, which is sure there's a lot of information out there, but in some ways that can be paralyzing and make it so that in much the same way as pre-internet, I don't really know exactly what I should do with the parsing of all of that information that I have available to me. Yeah, and what I would say is I think we're talking about two different two different graphs or charts. And to kind of close the loop on your question was the challenge I see with a lot of younger generations, the millennials that are coming into the workforce, is that they're almost working at a analysis paralysis style of work. Yeah. They want to get everything done before it's too late. And then what happens in sales is that we've turned into glorified educators. Sure. And educators, what happens is, is the buyers today are so much stronger than the sellers out there. And so that they have actually a system for buying in it, and it really comes down to four steps. They like to lie, and they like to steal, and they like to lie, and they hide again. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sorry if it's not as PC as everyone would like it, but 
what it may sound like is, for example, I may say if I was a prospect, Roger, I may say, wow, you guys are coming out with a new DRLX technology. Tell me about that. And then what will happen with a lot of these millennials, they'll, they'll puff their chest and say, wow, I got a question. I got to now I got to show them how smart I am. Right. And so then what will happen is if I was the prospect, Roger, people will start to say, well, how would you fix me in this solution? Or how would you fix me in this challenge? How would you fix me in this problem? When this happens, what happens? And so what happens with these millennials is they start educating and educating where by the time the prospect has stole, right, the second step, steal, they'll lie again saying, hey, Roger, let me actually go back, make a committee. I actually may need to talk to my business partner. Give me two weeks, follow up, and tell me where I, tell me what we think. And so what will happen is it's the nicest way to say, I just stole your information and I got it for free. Right. Unpaid consulting, right? Absolutely. You've heard our radio ads. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a universal concept, the notion of, yeah, you know, g- giving away your knowledge without any commitment from someone on the other end of uh, the transaction, for sure. Absolutely. So that that ends the the loop here. Is that I'm actually seeing a lot more millennials um, inhibit themselves from an analysis paralysis standpoint, but also be glorified educators. Um, which I, I guess it's okay. We can go around helping that, but at the end of the day, you're going to have skinny children, or your bank <laughs> account's going to be zero. So. Uh, that's what's going on here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's change gears just a little bit. I'm I'm just I'm intrigued. You know, uh, your peer group, people your age. You know, people are in varying degrees of uh, of their careers as far as having finally arrived at the place where they feel like they're going to actually make an impact. You know, some people get there quicker than others. Some people may have to move around a few times before they find that that place where they've learned enough, taken enough knocks and lumps to be in a position where they feel confident about their own ability sufficient to actually announce to the world that I I am whatever it is that I've decided that I'm going to be. So if I'm I'm on the other end of uh, that opportunity to recruit you, if if I'm looking for somebody new and, and I think, hey, you know, I feel like I'm not going to go find myself somebody that's already been in this industry. I'm going to go find somebody that uh, maybe I'm going to be able to teach them the way I want it done. I'm, I'm probably going to look to this age group to do that. What What are you seeing in that space with respect to what I'm talking about? Man, I mean, that's, I've, I've been working with this, this question uh, with all of my clients. And let me tell you, the internet has changed the game, Roger, when it comes to interviewing screening candidates. Yeah. Uh, just like it is, is such a positive accessing information, it's such a negative from a recruiting standpoint because they can figure out how to make themselves look good with you know writing resume companies that will help them make, make them look good to also – looking up industry-specific questions that you may ask them so they can answer it right. And you basically what you think you find sometimes is uh, a diamond in a rough, so to speak, where, oh, my gosh, I just need to let him go wild or she go wild, and she's going to sell a million bucks her first year just by all the answers she's getting or we're getting from her. 
And so a lot of what I'm seeing now these days, Roger, is that the internet has made the, the recruiting process, the, the screening of candidates obsolete because it's fallen behind. And like you said earlier, a lot of people didn't have the internet back then. And so they didn't know how to you know, get the right products or service without using a salesperson. The same is true now, is that now the internet has made it harder for the, the, the hirer to figure out which is the right candidate to put on their team. And so if I was a manager and I was a VP of sales, how would I go about it? Is that we use something called a search model. And it's an acronym and it's broken down quickly into skills, experience, attitude, results, cognitive skills and habits. And so with all those, they have the definition with it. And so really quickly, think about the skills. It's like the specific knowledge that is acquired that makes your job um, needed. So for example, a hunter would be a great idea for someone that's doing door knocking. A hunter role for prospecting is very important. And when we talk about the E for experience, we want to look for somebody that has had some kind of work in that field. So for example, somebody that's done a paper route would probably have enough experience to learn how to prospect, find brand new business if they're applying for, let's say, a copier sales job. And the idea behind attitude is that you're looking for the right mindset in order to perform a quick, you know, effectively and quickly in that position. So if we're still staying with that, that hunter prospecting role, they have to have that mindset that no is okay, but the next deal is where I'm going to get my yes. Sure. And I'm, and I'm going to be rejection proof. And so with that going further, we talk about results and results is kind of like the, the idea of referring to the accomplishments that someone has had and it's in the specific knowledge or in skill. So we're looking for results of have they sold the best they have in their territory. We're looking for those kind of results to see if what they're telling us is true. And the cognitive skill, when we talked about C, it kind of refers to the ability to learn quickly, process jobs or process uh, challenges faster. And so they have to be able to say in this hunter prospecting rejection proof role that they have to have or this person will have to have, can they be great at overcoming stalls and objections, for example? And then when we talk about habits, as the next spot, you got to think about the specific behaviors and actions required for the job. So maybe being prompt with emails, follow-ups, or keeping accurate notes when you're out on a sales call. But knowing that kind of stuff will help you kind of build an ideal salesperson profile. And so what I would do is have this acronym laid out with the definitions as I just, just described and then put in attributes for five or six attributes in those sections. And then when you're hiring somebody, you, what you can do is you can start to build questions around these different subsections and these subsection kind of characteristic roles. And then from there, we can really depict is the person that I'm looking at and hearing is the person that I'm actually going to hire and will be here on day 95, 
right? Super important. So uh, let, I'll give you a, a real-world application of something that I did in one of my sales management roles uh, at an at a online suit startup that I was at a few years back. So I was hiring people with no previous sales experience whatsoever and bringing them in to be uh, nothing but outbound telephone prospectors. So you can only imagine the horror and disbelief of the interviewee when I would suggest to them that their job is to come into work every day and do nothing but get on the phone and make phone calls. It, people that age barely speak on the telephone. So the idea of the possibility of coming into work every day and doing nothing but that was in many ways uh, a really nice filter for me with respect to who would and would not even sign up for that job. But, but, um, the, 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 ultimately if I could get them through the filters, sort of the last stage of the interview process was I would bring them in in pairs and I would let them work together and we would explain the value proposition of the organization and kind of why the, the person on the other end of the phone line might be interested in, in what we have to sell. It was a very narrow uh, prospect base. It was a very specific person that we were trying to speak to. It was brides and grooms. So we, mm-hmm. we knew exactly who it was we were trying to talk to. And more often than not, They'd registered online via the knot, so we knew that they were getting married. So we were calling people that we knew had a need. They had a very specific timeline for their need called the wedding date. And we knew that there was an opportunity because people have to wear suits for weddings. So what I would do is I would have them work together in pairs to come up with scripts that they would use that would serve as what they would say to someone who hadn't answered the phone. And the voicemails that they would leave were actually left with three people within my organization, me, the vice president of marketing and the owner of the company. So can you imagine the feeling that that person had to have knowing a, they had to craft something on their own, working in a team with someone they'd never met before. And then they had to leave messages on the phone with people that are the like leadership of the company that they were potentially going to join. Would you suggest that that exercise that I had created would meet those criteria that you just described? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that would probably be under uh, skills. You got to be able to leave effective voicemails for people. I mean, if you have a heavy um, outbound prospecting business, you, you have to have the, the ability to bang the phones, but also leave effective voicemails and tonality and pitch to get callbacks or just keep a conversation going. If the, uh, so well, that, that, is a, that is a great, that is a, that is a nugget for the viewer <laughs> or the viewers and listeners of this. Well, if they're ever looking to hire, that is, that is a gold right there. Uh-huh. I just, I want to close the loop on this real quickly because it was relatively funny. So we brought them in, you know, we, we ended up hiring three, uh, actually all three of them two years later are still working and, and are doing quite well. Uh, only because they'd really passed through a number of criteria that made them realize, holy cow, like I can actually be good at this. And so when you arrive at the opportunity where you realize that like I'm selling something that I believe in, 
that meets a need that I know is out there in the marketplace and I have the skills necessary to be successful, that has a way of instilling confidence in, in people in a way that I think a lot of other sales jobs don't have the tendency to do. And Nick, I would say, I, and I think you'd agree with me, especially in the line of work that you're in, that you know, oftentimes sales training falls to the owner of the organization. And just because they may be a good salesperson and understand the product that they are selling, that doesn't mean that they're a good trainer of other salespeople. And frequently, that what that uh, manifests itself as is either very mediocre sales training or worse yet, no sales training at all. So when you consider a new employee of these two different, maybe even competing organizations, one who's been put through a fairly rigorous set of filters to ensure their success versus someone who really just gets sat down in the bullpen and handed a call list and a script and told what to do, I'm sure you can imagine the uh, level of turnover in business A versus the level of turnover in business B. I completely agree. And what, also what we're seeing now is the, the race for human capital. And what it's the challenge is, is how do we fit these people, these job candidates, into our company culture? And so if for the VP, the owners, the people that are listening that are hiring people, really be cognizant of, does this person fit our company culture, our values, our mission statement? Because the detriment of having a bad hire or a turnover a turnover rate can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It can even spoil the rest of the apples, making them bad apples. Yeah, and you see it all the time with sports. You know, sports teams. All you know, all star company, all star companies, all star sports teams that just don't click in the locker room or don't click in the bullpen. Take that team into a five and 17 start, right? right? You just see it all the time. And what I would stress the most is it's important to really vet and have that, that, that idea or that belief of they're actually trying us on. We are not trying them on. We need to make sure that they fit us. Absolutely. And, uh, if you, you listener out there are not, uh, invested in personality testing, you're making a mistake because typically what ends up happening invariably when there's no focus or attention paid in that particular arena is you gravitate towards people most like yourself. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing, having all of the same personality type working in the building. But imagine, if you will, personality types are typically attracted to the same personality type. So you better be able to go find every single customer and prospect in the world who shares your personality type if every single salesperson in your bullpen has the same personality type. So it's uh, it's far more advantageous to have a well-balanced team of different and varied personalities so as to make for not only a more diverse workplace and an inclusive workplace, but also to make sure that you're appealing to the broadest possible cross-section of prospects out there in the marketplace. All right, so... So Nick, you, you, you've how long have you got under your belt now at Sandler? How long have you been there? Oh, well, with uh, what's going on with this conversation, how long do you think? I I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, that shows uh, my millennialness of trying to soak in as much as I can, <laughs> like a sponge. Uh, but I've been doing this for, gosh, almost eighteen months, nineteen months. Okay. Here, so almost. I'd say closer to two years here. Okay. All right. So in your mind, has is it is it sales for you? Is it like you're you're all in? 
Oh, absolutely. I, you know, it's it's amazing when you think about the the head trash that people ensue in sales and the power of positive thinking. I mean, I read somewhere on LinkedIn that 63% of our thoughts or something outrageous was all negative. I mean, if you had that as a friend walking around, would you have that friend for a long time? Answer's no. It's tiring. So it's really tiring. When I, when I talk to myself, is I say to myself, you know what? I get to go to the ATM today. I get to sit into my ATM machine. And <laughs> this, is, this is a very fun business to be a part of. And being able to grow companies and show people the dreams and things that they're looking for. I know that's very well Disney of me, but, you know, hey, go figure. Well, here, here's the thing I would say. Um, there's no greater joy than to watch someone excel at something that they love be it lacrosse or chess or uh, dance or uh, debate or what, it doesn't really matter. And I guess the, the message I wanted to leave with the listener is, you know, for those of you perhaps considering a, a career in sales similar to the one that Nick has chosen, I would say to you, it's important for you to have a clear understanding of, of what you love. And if what you love is helping people on their journey towards what it is that they're trying to accomplish. There's really far fewer uh, 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 careers that one can choose that can give you that opportunity in the way that sales can. So Nick, what's the future hold for you? What If we're two years from now and we're looking back on this conversation and I'm interviewing you again, what are you hoping will have happened for Nick DiMaggio in those 24 months? Wow, wow. I mean, talk about a question. I think what it actually stands for is, is that I, I may have a, a spot next to the, the lake right next to you. I, that's what I'm for. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. I'd love nothing better than to see you out there on, on the boat having a great time, uh, just enjoying the hell out of yourself because you're doing so well in what you're doing in your 9 to 5. I can't thank you enough for joining me today, and I really look forward to our next discussion. Absolutely, and thank you for having us on. and. Of course, the, the learners out there and everyone that's taking a listen, please take more listens with uh, Roger here. He, he's doing successful things out here and um, happy to be back whenever you have me.